I don't suppose moving would be too much trouble? Only the wind answered me, and it had absolutely nothing helpful to say. The grassy dunes of Sky Sky Field rolled on in all directions, disappearing and reappearing over hilltops without a soul in sight to help. Painfully, I propped myself up with one elbow, craning my neck for a better view. Sure enough, a large brownish rock pinned my leg to the ground, shaped with a merciful curve that kept my foot from being crushed flat, but allowing for no funny business. My fingers strained to brush the corner of a cucumber sandwich sprawled out dejectedly in the dirt. Lunch. I was a mouse in a trap, without a nibble of cheese to console me as I slowly died. Even if it is a little trouble, I amended. Freaking move! Well, that got its attention. Why? I heard the earthy, solemn voice echo dully in the back of my mind. Rocks and stones are infamously obtuse, and this one looked to be no different. Well, I can't get away. You're on my leg, and it hurts like the dickens, and it has me stuck fast besides. Just a little roll is all I'm asking here, friend, I said. There was a pause. You don't really need that leg. I bit my lip to keep a civil tongue. Rocks knew darn well how important limbs were. The trees taught them eons ago. Maybe teensy pebbles couldn't grasp the concept of being more than a singular smooth entity among billions, but this was a mountain rock here. This very slab of stone had been part of the hill not so long ago. I'd bet my lunch on it. What'd I ever do to you, Rock? Come on now. Give me a break. Your leg is being crushed and you want... a break, ventured the Rock. <laughs> The wind swept through the valley again, and this time there was a distinct titter in the air. I let my head fall back against the weedy earth with a thump. A rock with a sense of humor. I still hadn't seen it all, but that was a step in the right direction. I ignored the wind. Holding a prolonged conversation with it could literally drive you mad. It's the sort of thing a desperate man trapped under a rock in the depths of Sky Sky Fields would do. Hill, I said. The rock tensed. Maybe. If rocks can tense, it definitely tensed. I was going straight over its head, and we both knew it. Ten minutes crawled by, better than I expected, before a grinding, cavernous pressure opened fissures in my skull. The closest way to describe the voice would be to imagine what a hill would sound like. What? There's a rock on my foothill, and I won't get off. That sounded a morsel more petulant than I intended, but it got the point across. I think that is one-sided, said the rock. I think you are a rock and I am a hill, said the hill, silencing the smaller one immediately. A long, vibrating moment of thought rattled my teeth. I also think the human has a point. Get off. I will break the laws, protested the rock. No, you won't, I put in, emboldened. You could have taken an extra tumble there at the end and don't deny it but you came to a dead stop right on my own foot. I'm not blaming you or saying you did it on purpose, mind, but it's well within your right to scoot over. Another long, tiring pause. My captor was running out of excuses. It just sat there, thinking. I had the damn thing now. Scoot, commanded the hill. That settled it. The rock trembled, teetered, and, grace be to any god or goddess of your choosing, rolled. I was up in a flash, knocking dirt from my shins with just a few scraps of dignity to spare. The rock lay on its side, gazing up at me sullenly. At least, so I imagine, assuming rocks have sides and gazes. I sighed. 
This didn't have to turn into a whole thing. We could chalk the incident up to an honest mistake and move on with our lives, no harm done. Of course, I was a younger man then, and kind of an ass. I, I sat on the rock and finished my cucumber sandwich. Don't look at me like that. It had it coming. Besides, I did have the decorum to thank the hill. My voice bounced off the mass of earth and stone, lost in the expanse of sky-sky fields. And I never heard from that hill again. So that's why we bring a bag of mulch up here every April 22nd? Asked Ina, face propped up between two hands, stomach flat on the ground, feet swaying in the air. Pretty much. Hills like mulch, said Dusky. He patted the enormous lump of grassy earth beneath them. Right, Hill? Ina busied herself with the planting of several dozen posies in the fresh dirt. The hill says right. You can speak hill, Ina? Not bad for a girl going on 14. These gents are aloof. Dusky sat cross-legged in the bright blue sky, wavy hair and faded poncho catching the breeze dramatically. She imagined that, 20-odd years ago in this very spot, he looked just about the same. Well, except for the beard. That was new. And a little bit gray, but hey, Dusky didn't have to know about that. Ina decided to let him enjoy the moment. She was doing the same thing, so it was only fair. I thought the story was boring, said a gruff, mumbly voice. Shut up, Mulch, said Dusky. Shut up, Mulch, said Ina. They sat there in equitable silence for about seven minutes, and nobody said a word. Having run out of lunch, Ina chewed on a strand of blonde hair. She thought it tasted like cabbage, which was pretty weird. You know, said Dusky, that is one hell of a sky. Ina grinned, tilting her face upwards. Sky, sky, fields, she mused. There was more blue than green swimming in her vision, which always felt like an impressive feat that nobody noticed. Great name. Ho <laughs> ho, self-congratulatory, are we? You think up one perfect, unrivaled name and it all goes to your head? Who taught you that sort of behavior? Ina strolled into the trap because she knew for a fact that, if she didn't, her uncle would keep asking with increased urgency, until she said, You did. Darn straight, cried Dusky, pointing a finger right at her. And I'm going to take full credit for your full credit, young missy. Don't make me come over there and convince you that we're both failures. Yeah, because then everyone else would be right, and I personally think everyone else is overrated. I concur. Stuff everyone else. I concur your concurrence. Not a word, Ina. Is a word. Nope. Chalk a roof. A minor silence passed by. Definitely not a word, said Dusky. Ina shook her head. Don't be so sure. I made it up yesterday. It's a synonym for bunk, but with not-so-confrontational overtones. Hmm. Not sure I'm following this one, Ina. Okay, it's like calling someone on shenanigans while punching them in the arm and winking, but all with your mouth, she explained with careful hand motions. Oh. Dosky smiled broadly. Good one, Ina. Add that to the list. We'll use it next time we're in town. The two of them wandered back into their own thoughts for a minute or two, watching for clouds. They must be hiding again. Weirdos. Don't you dare forget about this guy, Ina, said Dusky. Say again? Even when it's not there anymore, it's still there. You might need it someday. Just don't forget, you dig? Ina nodded. I dig. Dusky looked satisfied. So, where to next? 
I heard the other day that Threescapes is big, so we might want to hop to it as we explore all of non-existence. No rush, just a thought. Ina pushed herself up to a crouched position. Big brown eyes locked on Dusky. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And what I think is that, um, I think we have a problem. A problem? Dusky sat up too, boots jostling mulch. With our plan? With THE plan? <laughs> this I gotta hear. What if, Ina began, treading words with careful syllables, they discovered known existence faster than we can explore it? Dosky's devil-may-care expression tripped. He didn't seem to know what to say. He didn't seem to know for a long time. Ina sat balanced on her heels and chewed on her hair, arms wrapped around legs. And finally, I say Chalkaroof, he announced, opening his eyes. Not that his eyes were closed at any point, but they opened more, if you understand. Do you know how long it takes for existence to become properly known? And then for someone to ink the whole thing on a map? And then for the news to reach the two most important unimportant travelers to landscape, seascape, and starscape ever did see? I don't know, like a year? Oh, at least. In short, and I've never been called a tall man. What you don't know can't hurt you. Dusky stood up, still smiling. He offered Ina a hand, warm and inviting like a pie. She took it, felt a rush of wind, and was on her feet. I bow to your wisdom. Don't bow to anyone, Ina. Especially not me. He took a breath of sky, 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 and put his hands on his hips. Bye, Hill. See you next April 22nd. The possibility of setting clearly hadn't dawned on the sun yet, despite the late hour. Why afternoon clung so desperately to Threescapes, only to rush through orange evening, her favorite time of life, mystified Ina. She longed for the day when she could finally meet the burning orb that so fascinated poets and scientists, if only to ask what its problem was. Want to go fishing? She asked. You know what? Said Dosky. I do. The motor car's trunk smelled like fish because lots of fish were inside of it. And so it was that six dead fish and three living passengers rattled up a cobblestone road, moving irregularly into the heart of Mon Ober. Ina watched the buildings bounce by. Red, yellow, blue, and an occasional brave green. You know, I always wondered about those painters from way back when, said Dusky, looking out his own window. Were they indecisive or just confused? No, it's like a quilt, said Ina, as a matter of fact. Dusky thought about that. He frowned. Then he smiled. Well, I'll be. These buildings are more than 300 years old, said Benjamin the driver. Ina could see the side of his head, his chin, and a pair of spectacles from her little space in the back seat. There's a plaque two streets down. No extra charge for a tour? Seen it, Benjamin, but mighty kind of you to offer. We've got bigger fish to fry. Dusky gave Ina a chasmic smile designed to make her laugh whether or not the joke was funny. She let out a quiet giggle to be polite. Bindleman wouldn't get it. Then you two are still set in your ways to see the whole of three scapes and whatnot? Asked Bindleman, rounding a steep, nigh vertical bend that led underneath a tunnel of sunny flags. Dosky desperately wanted to put his feet up. Ina could tell, but there wasn't an inch to spare. Three scapes is the plan, but we'll settle for whatnot. Dosky again, I have to say, I can't recommend how you're tossing away all the economic opportunity you've been handed over your life. Truth be told, you're the only decent family this poor girl has left, and sooner or later you've got to stop. 
well, gallivanting is the word. I have a niece myself, you know, and I can vouch that a little structure and stability goes a long way. Speaking of, where are you staying? I know a quaint little place two blocks past Glover Street. Just keep driving. And for the last time, Bindleman, we don't have any more money than you do, said Dosky. We just spend less of it. Besides, this little journey is Ina's education. Can't let that sharp mind go to waste in a schoolroom, can we? Bindleman ignored that part. So, how is little Ina Lorene doing these days? Ina could feel Bindleman's squinting, bespectacled eyes focus on her through the review mirror. Dosky nudged Ina with an elbow. Little Ina Lorene is sitting right here, and some folks are even saying she's learned to speak. Uh-oh. He was getting grumpy. I'm good. Roughly 14 years old, Ina confirmed. Ah, getting to be that age, hmm? said Bindleman. Drinking age? suggested Dosky. Bindleman recoiled, confused. No, of course not. Crap, we've been doing it all wrong, Ina. It was at this point that Ina decided to take the conversational wheel and let their driver focus on the physical one. Less chance of a messy crash in both cases. I've been getting into poetry a little, she ventured. Poetry? asked Bindleman, latching onto the opportunity to change topics. His eyebrows lifted, or so claimed the mirror. Shall we hear some? Ina looked to Dosky. Dosky shrugged. Shall we? I mostly write free verse. She wielded the fact as an apology and an excuse at the same time. This could get awkward. Ah, Bendelman debated. Poetry is poetry. Well, that was a bad sign. Um, okay. That being the case. She cleared her throat. I have one about fireflies. Nobody argued the point, and she now faced an attentive, well-meaning adult audience. Dosky didn't count, of course. He was just pretending as he waited to see how this whole thing turned out. Fireflies, she began, speaking over the cobblestone rattle. What the hell? She paused, creating the auditory effect of a line break. Bindleman turned his steering wheel back and forth. Summer's ghost, living nostalgia, insects that transcend our loathing to find something buried. Don't you unearth something old and warm and precious there? I do, every night when they appear with the cricket songs, floating with the smell of fresh grass, blinking in our dark. Fireflies, your backsides blaze like a torch, a beautiful firework show from a delicate region. I don't pretend to know what it feels like to be a firefly. I don't need to. I don't even really want to. Seriously, I'm good. Motor car noises gradually replaced Ina's voice, which seemed to have grown much larger than it had any right to be. The smell of old leather rose once again from well-worn seats. A bridge bumped by, underneath the wheels. Eventually, Bindleman roused himself. Hmm, it was nice, he forced out. Ina blushed. She wasn't embarrassed by the praise or by her poem, but because she had delivered her work to the wrong recipient. Nothing worse than explaining something weird to a normal person. So, that's what we've been up to, said Dosky. How have things been here in good old Monover? Bindleman navigated this topic just like he did the motor car. Comfortably, predictably, and not how Ina would have. Each aspect of the kaleidoscope metropolis found itself trapped in a little box pushed along the conveyor belt that was Bindleman's mind. 
box 1 yielded to box 2, soon replaced by box 3 and box 4 after that. Ina tuned out somewhere between boxes 5 and 7, which had something to do with gardening and the quality of drinking water. Dosky's deliberate, yup yup, after every major point turned into a metronome of sorts, which had the uncanny effect of making Ina wish she hadn't given up the piano. She let the rhythm take her, latching onto stray memories as they tootled on by through her open window. Delicious fruit drinks sipped on hot days, great shops with funny hours of operation, sad findings of cat carcasses on side streets, that sort of thing. Some of them were shared with Dosky, others weren't. All of them together whisked time forward at a brisk, presentable pace, until the rat-pat-pat of Bendelman's motor car fell into a descending pattern of rump-trump-trumps. They had seemingly arrived someplace. Yes, I said stop here something like six times. I've reconsidered, Bindleman, but turns out I've been right all along, said Dosky, lanky limbs spring-loaded for departure. Their driver was leaning out the window, looking straight up into the sky and clutching his spectacles with thumb and forefinger. He was preoccupied, obviously, so Ina directed her question to Dosky. What's his deal? We have two rooms at Resort Giola, he explained. Too rich for Bindleman's blood, I guess. Ina forcibly made space for her at Bindleman's window. If Dosky was pulling her leg, he found a miraculously accurate prop for the gag. It was shaped exactly like a ten-story, four-wing hotel. Your economic situation? Bindleman's voice was strained from skepticism and jealousy pulling on either side. How? Old pal, that's irrelevant, said Dosky, clapping a hand on Bindleman's shoulder. Because I don't want to tell you. Thanks for the ride, keep the change, and remind me to visit your mother before we skip town. She's the nicest old lady, always hated me. Bindleman shrugged. I'll get your bags, he said. I'll check into our elaborate suites, said Ina. Race ya, said Dosky. He lost. A good-looking young man from the hotel staff handed Dosky a silver key. Expression blank as the extra page in a novel. If he had even the faintest suspicion that the nomadic foreigner dressed in a stylish combination of leather apparatuses and rags would be anything less than a valued client on fire with integrity, he squelched it but good. The young lady's room is five doors down, he announced. The good-looking young man continued to ignore Ina's suggestive winking, so she just said thank you and he left. They trained them well at Resort Giola. Guess we're a little late, said Dosky. He was looking at the door instead of Ina. Say what? asked Ina. But she probably knew what. For a family vacation, said Dosky. Turns out we're kind of short on family. True, said Ina. But if you have a cake, the last piece is still good. Dosky nodded, looking at the door. And you never turn down cake, stated Ina. And it was final. Huh. Dosky looked at her instead of the door, which brought his face into focus. You know your stuff, Ina. I think about cake a lot, she replied solemnly. Dosky tossed his key into the air with ceremony. Well, what do you think? Want to see what's inside? Dosky, I begged Mom and Dad to take me here every day of every week, and I've been thinking about it for ten years straight, said Ina. So I'm guessing that question is rhetorical? Yeah, I'm just building the suspense. He caught the key before it had a chance to finish its arc. Ten years isn't enough for you? Fair point. Click, turn. After you. Ina didn't want to make a scene in front of Bendelman, but she more or less died of heart failure when those four legendary buildings swung into view. 
When she was really young, Ina, or Ina Lorene rather, spent hours fantasizing over what treasures glowed softly in the highest rooms of Resort Giola. To eat at the endless gleaming buffets and swim in the pristine, equally gleaming pools made up the dreams of all small children. But the hidden corners locked away by price and prestige? That was a tale woven by the famous radio play stars, who lulled a little girl to sleep at night with reassurances that there was still wonder in the world. The vivid, sentimental sensation of magic and mystery still left her tingly all over, even if it only remained as vague feelings and colors. This was a room on the highest floor, and she was opening its door. Dosky and Ina stared into a hotel room. So, what's the verdict? He asked. Totally disappointing, she answered, hugging him around the waist. Thanks, Dosky. You deserve it, kid. Dosky ruffled Ina's hair and then allowed her to step on his toes, which was the agreed-upon punishment for hair ruffling. Ina waded into the thick carpet. Smells like money. I'm scared to touch anything. Well, don't. Your room's down the hall. I don't want dirty kids rummaging through my things. She turned a fierce glare his way. Okay, now I'm serious. How did you manage this? Dosky took his sweet time in settling down on the edge of his large, fancy bed. Called out a favor from a friend. A friend? Yeah, said Dosky, hands folded in his lap. He looked elsewhere. A lady friend. Ina squinted real hard. What kind of lady friend would give you two all-access passes for Resort Giola? Um, said Dosky. Giola? That did it. Ina lost her stride. She stared wide-eyed at Dosky, and he grinned back. There's no way, she ventured. There is no, no, no way. He only grinned wider and flopped onto his back with a satisfying thump of downy bedspread, and that settled the matter. Ina decided to make the most of Dosky's blissful distraction by overcoming her fear and touching everything in his room. She made her way through the jungle of nice things, wondering to herself if they would look any shinier or more fulfilling were she still five years old. Probably not, she decided. What would a five-year-old girl do with the severed stone head of a famous philosopher? What would anyone? As a last resort, she heaved at the crimson curtain, heavy as a winter coat four sizes too large, and discovered a secret balcony. She hesitated. Secret balcony. There was a little bit of magic left in those words. They still tinkled. Ina stepped out into the sweet evening air of Monover, a pleasant vertigo yanking at her heart, and spotted a line of similar balconies running straight down to the earth and out of sight. The rest of her vision was obscured by countryside. The whole damn thing, it appeared. A horizon swimming with tired sunshine, hills that couldn't decide where to end and begin, little rivers flowing under bridges, vineyards lined up by crafty brewers, pinprick cotton balls that might pass for sheep on ground level, and, of course, the pool. Ina's toes left the balcony floor as she leaned out farther. Pools, she amended. They had four pools. Dosky? Dosky's response was prompt and that he was immediately silent. Dosky! Hey, huh? I'm not asleep. Whoever says so is a dirty liar. Dosky's voice trailed in from the hotel room, stumbling to life a few seconds before the rest of him. What's the matter? This place is great. You woke me up for that? Yeah. Huh. Okay. 
Ina spent the next morning swimming in all four pools and teaching little kids how to hold their breath. Dosky ate three breakfasts in a row, but worried the third one might have been brunch. They reunited in the gift shop, where they browsed for an hour, but didn't find anything good. Dosky decided to spend all their hotel credit on an armful of resort Giola magnets, insisting that they were attractive souvenirs. After making a few ice bucket runs down the hall to keep the fish comfortable, they went golfing. Neither of them knew how to keep score, so they asked a nice older man, and he showed them how not to swing, but that's about as far as they got. Buying lunch seemed like a waste after all the work they put into catching it themselves, so Ina smiled sweetly at the cooks, and they risked their job security to fry off-site fish. Then it was nap time. Then it was dinner time. They played cards with the older man during dinner, and pretended not to know how cards worked because it was so much fun the first time. Once the sun set, and their first full day at Resort Giola settled down to a satisfying sunset, Dusky and Ina were thoroughly sick of resorts. That one looks like a rock, said Ina, flat on our back and pointing to the sky. Yep, said Dusky. That one looks like a rock too, said Ina. Sure does, said Dusky. Dusky, said Ina. That one looks like a rock. That's about the long and short of it, Ina, said Dusky. The firework festival for the God of Rocks was turning out to be a bust. And besides, Ina's eyelids weren't cooperating. But what the heck, they were on vacation. She let them fall into place, enveloping her eyeballs in a darkness interrupted only by the faint, multicolored spark of faraway fireworks. Ina was tired. Her eyes were tired. Her arms were tired. Her feet were tired. Her bones were freaking exhausted. She breathed in summer air, and then breathed it out. She was never going to move again. The grass was too soft to be itchy, and the pop and crackle of the fireworks rattled her ribs pleasantly. Want to call it a day there, Ina? Dosky's voice was comfortably familiar, but it threatened to jolt her out of her delicate half-slumber, so she mumbled a brief reply. Mm-hmm. Then let's pack it up. Beat the hallway rush. Carry me. She could hear Dosky frown, and it made her smile, eyes still shut. Yeah, I think we're both too old for that. Hop to it, kid. But you just called me kid. I do that to be annoying, he countered, probably folding his arms. I do this to be annoying, she counter-countered, not moving. And I do this to be annoying. With the counter-counter-counter came a boot that rolled Ina onto her side, until she was squinting at the too bright sky, elbow planted dirt deep in the lawn. She rubbed her eyebrow, and could tell Dosky was grinning in triumph, just by the posture of a silhouette. Oh well. He earned it. The two of them hoisted up the chairs they never bothered unfolding, and hiked back to the clean, golden glow of Hotel Giola in the distance. She thought about a lot of things on the way there, but none of them stuck and she was too tired to say them. All she remembered about the walk back were their own shadows on the ground with each burst of firework, in between bouts of darkness and shuffling feet. Compared to the night outside, the lobby of Resort Giola was way too bright and detailed, like they wandered across a tiny model and were looking at it through a magnifying glass. Dosky led the way through fountains and people, as Ina blinked her way behind him, the world slowly growing clearer as the excitement of being in Resort Giola late at night pierced her bleariness. Dosky was already punching the elevator button, multiple times because he thought that helped, when she noticed the little crowd gathering by the radio. Dosky seemed to notice too, because he shifted his weight and looked thoughtful. At first it was just chatter and static, the kind of stuff you accidentally ignore every day. 
But then they heard a newsman over the air, trying very hard to sound professional. But Ina could tell. He was smiling. Seven leagues off the coast, ladies and gentlemen. It's what appears to be a new uncharted island. And we're getting reports of... Yes, yes, colonies of bright yellow birds and... A large series of inlet caves, very unusual. They can't say how deep they go. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it, it appears that... Ina looked up, and Dosky looked down. Her eyes met somewhere in the middle. All of known existence, whispered Ina, just got a little bit bigger.